one of my favorite cartoons growing up was the show Animaniacs, and there were some really good hits. Uh, you know, Pinky and the Brain might be the very best, but, uh, you know, what are we going to do today? Try and take over the world. And, uh, you know, many delightful Saturdays were spent watching Animaniacs. Uh, well, there's this good little bit called Good Idea, Bad Idea, and they're hilarious. And I thought, you know, why not start with one for your sermon? So here you go, Jerry. It's time for another Good Idea, Bad Idea. Good Idea. Whistling While You Work. Whistling while you eat. <laughs> the end. That's good stuff right there. That's good humor. I mean, uh, all right, why start with good idea, bad idea? It's a good idea to be the church. It's a bad idea to try and think that we can be the church without the Holy Spirit. It's a good idea to preach sermons. It's a bad idea to try and preach a sermon without the help of His Holy Spirit. It's a good idea to love and serve others. It's a bad idea to think that we can do that without the help of God. It's a good idea to do our spiritual exercises to get ourselves spiritually fit in the Lord. It's a bad idea to try and do that without yielding to God's power to transform us and work within us. Good idea, bad idea. Theirs are funnier, mine are a little more serious. But as I thought about the Holy Spirit series, it felt an awful lot like the time when the Spirit convicted me that I needed to preach on the book of Revelation. You see, the, uh, as you are well aware, the book of Revelation can be a little crazy and can be a little daunting. And so I always sort of sat back thinking, you know, I think I could survive in ministry if I never ever talk about the book of Revelation. Right? This is a good idea, right? No, bad idea. Good idea, bad idea. That might be the growing theme of my ministry. But, uh, but as, you, as I was thinking about the book of, book of Revelation, I was at a conference, and the conference was all about the book. And I realized as people were preaching from God's Word just how incredibly powerful that, those messages were. And then there were a string of activities that were just like, okay, you need to preach on this. And you can preach on it. And it will be beneficial for the church. There's been no more impactful sermon series for me than the book of Revelation series. It helped me fall in love with Jesus more. And from the responses of the first time around with Revelation, I know that that was a shared experience. And so why, why I open up with that is not because we're going to dig into Revelation again. You would think, well, we just covered it back in January. Let's not go back there and... I'm with you. We'll leave it on the shelf for a little while. But, but the point is, is that I had that same exact sort of thought and conviction over the Holy Spirit series. 
what it was a conversation with another minister and I was I was thinking right now I would start a new series on the book of Mark that we would be going through the gospel of Mark follow the baptism series and talk about the gospels that was my plan and then it was like well hold on let's press the brakes a little bit and let's actually think about this we've spent our time talking about remembering our baptism now let's talk about the gifts received at our baptism that we've received God's Holy Spirit. And let's understand the Spirit so much more and so much more clearly and get rid of all of the, the muck and the mess and all of the confusion about what God's Spirit is and what God's Spirit is doing in us and in our church and in the world today. Because God has given us this gift. This gift of God's Holy Spirit, of God's presence here with us and in us And sometimes I feel like we treat the Spirit the same way we treat the book of Revelation. That there is avoidance or there's obsession. We all know the people, they come come into work today and they say, I got all all green lights this morning on on the way into work. God must really, His Spirit must really be at work this morning because I got all green lights. And I'm thinking, really? Okay, and then the next guy... I got all red lights. Must be the Spirit's not working today. Like, so there's like weird obsession and it's like this sort of uh, thing that I don't really understand. But then there's like the sort of sheer avoidance of it that there's really no mention of the Holy Spirit. No mention that God is present, God is working in our lives. And I wonder why we treat it this way other than it's kind of a weird thing. We like talking about material things, things that we can hold on to. We like talking about, we like talking about material things because it's tangible, it's real, it's in front of us, we understand it. We have a much harder time talking about things that can't be seen. There's something unique about the Spirit of God. You think God has any sort of way of revealing himself. He has any sort of words to express his identity to us. And the words that he uses to convey to us what his spirit is and what it is like is the word ruach and pneuma, the Hebrew and the Greek respectively. And I will exegete both of those over the next 30 minutes. I'm kidding, we won't do that. But, uh, but what they mean is this. Of all of the words that God has to share with us and teach us and help us to understand Him, He uses words for breath and wind. These sort of things are difficult to explain. Difficult for us to wrap our heads around in fear of sounding crazy and like a loony guy. But if we would spend time looking at God's Word, we would see a Spirit that is here to empower us, encourage us, transform us, comfort us, heal us, teach us, and shape us into the beautiful image of His church that reflects the beautiful glory of Jesus Christ. We were uh, traveling to church. I was seven or eight years old probably. My folks, we went to Kalkaska Church of Christ, and we went every Sunday. We were 
we were always going. We went multiple times a week, in fact, because, you know, if the doors were open, we had to be there. And this was an unusual time when we showed up because there was someone outside of the church building, and they were holding a sign for picketing. And I have no idea, like, what's going on, but this guy is just walking back and forth in front of the church building, and he's holding up a sign. And you read the sign, and it was just one word. Ichabod. I know, right? Ichabod. And to a seven- or eight-year-old kid, like, I have no idea what in the world Ichabod is. I don't think I, I was certainly not well-read enough to know Ichabod Crane, and I didn't, you know, it's like I didn't know any of those things, but who in the world is Ichabod? What does it mean? And, you know, whatever. What does it mean? What was going on? Well, you have to know your Bible, and you have to know trivial things. I don't know if this will come and play at the Bread of Life food pantry trivia, but Ichabod was the Ichabod is the uh, I was saying Bob Ichabod, duh. There we go. Okay, whatever. Keep moving on, Jordan. There is a story in First Samuel. The Israelites are in war with the Philistines, like they always are, and Eli's or Eli's sons are off into battle. And they both die. And they also lose the Ark of the Covenant in the battle. At this point, Eli is in his chair. And news hits Eli that his sons have died. And the Ark of the Covenant, God's presence, their whole means of victory is taken from them. And... At the news of this, he falls back in his chair and he breaks his neck and he dies. He dies. Phineas, I know this is a cheery story. Phineas, Eli's son, his wife was pregnant. And in the commotion of all of it, this child is born. And they give him the name. Everybody say it together. Ichabod. Ichabod means in Hebrew the glory of the Lord departed. One might wonder why the Kalkaska Church of Christ was privileged to have someone picketing with a sign that meant the glory of the Lord departed outside of their church building. Turns out the guy that was picketing, he believed he had a special revelation about the end times, and he invited all of the local ministers to show up. And Dan Johnson, who many of you know, decided not to go to the meeting. You know, I can't believe he didn't. But uh, So by his non-participation in the meeting, the guy said, the glory of the Lord has departed this church. Well, no other area ministers went either, so the guy was busy picketing all of the local churches. But it's, it's this sense of the glory of the Lord departed. The glory of the Lord departed. You know, I, I think about... Um, what the absence of something, what happens within us when something is gone. When something's missing, when something's gone, you, you begin to notice it in a new way. And you begin to remember it more fondly. 
something trivial and not very important, but I'm going to say it anyways. Is, you know, sometimes shows get taken off your Netflix, right? And it's like, oh, my Netflix shows are gone. Like, I thought they were always going to be there for me. Like, if I would have known, I would have binged it again. I, I wish it was back, you know. You'd think longingly back on the show. And, you know, your life will move on, but you're kind of like, I really wish they would bring that show back. And I have news for you. They're just going to keep taking shows away, guys. I mean, The Office is not coming back. And they'll probably take Parks and Rec, too. I don't know what we'll do with our time. But uh, it's that sense of something being taken away. And we begin to notice and appreciate it more when it's gone. You know, uh, you think about these things and how they use it in our culture. Like, marketers know how this works. Like, there is a reason why they only give you sales for a certain period of time, and they say, never to be had again, sale of the century. And then, you know, and like, you would think that they would understand what a century means, and like five weeks later, it's happening again. But it's this sense of, if we don't have it, we lose it. Something that we lose, then we'll appreciate it more. Now, those things are trivial, but this morning I, I woke up uh, to a quiet house. I woke up to a house with uh, with my wife and kids. They were all uh, they're all camping with their family at, at Michiana this weekend, and uh, I was with them yesterday. And I came down to be with you today. Um, nobody else wanted to preach on Labor Day. I don't get it, but uh, 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 but I'm happy to be here. Trust me, I I am. I, that's what I told myself all morning. Uh, the uh, but just having just having uh, you know going from three kids and your wife to, uh, you know, nothing this morning was kind of like, I really do like these people. I do like them being around. Their absence reminded me of the importance of their presence. You know, when we, we think about, when we think about our life, and this is such a hard thing for us, and I, and I don't, I, I'm not passing it as trivial at all, and I, all four of my grandparents have passed away. And since then and always, when we gather together around family meals or when we gather together around the holidays, their absence reminds me of their presence and how much and how important they are to me and what they mean to me. And I know that all of us share in that story that the first holidays and every holiday after the departing of a, a loved one, we remember them and they're their absence reminds us of their importance of their life and what they mean to us. That they, they matter so much. Um, there's a Walter family gathering this weekend, it seems like. And, and I was talking to some of your family. There's a, there is a person that is so influential to our church family, Harold Walter, and he's not here but he's remembered here and he's treasured here. He's cherished here because of what he means to us. I won't forget the prayers of Harold and his love for us and his faithfulness to Jesus Christ. When we think about in the room, who has been in this room to worship and gather together in the name of God and what they mean to us, what they mean to our story, I say all of this because I think that this helps us hear the heartache 
of Moses in Exodus 33. And before we read that text again, we need a little bit of a backstory. And so I hope you can hang on to all of these little things and hang on to this feeling and this understanding and this tension. Because it's this tension that sort of pours out of the text when we read it afresh. In Exodus 19, we are at the point in which the Israelites, God's special people, God has been working and working and working to get this special people, the Israelites, into the promised land. And it's been a journey filled with uh, foibles and failures and all kinds of uh, messing up. Lots of uh, good idea, bad idea sort of situations. Like, it's a good idea to go with God. It's a bad idea to melt everything, all the gold down, melt it down into a golden calf and worship the thing that you just created. In Exodus 32, that's just what happens. Uh, God is speaking with Moses, and Moses and him are taking an awful long time in uh, communicating to each other, and everyone else is getting a little restless, and so they melt down all of the gold, and they fashion themselves an idol, and they worship it, and they say, these are our gods. This is the one who's delivered us from Egypt. So God is just completely broken and devastated that his people would turn on him in this way and so quickly. It's filled, uh, the story of Exodus was filled with these things. When God has given them a promise, in Exodus 19, he says, I am going to send you into the promised land, and if you will go there, you will take out all of the enemies. It's all of the ites. They're the, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Hittites. They're all of them are going to be pushed away and driven out of the land, and this land will be yours. And if you will have a co- or I will have a covenant with you, and I will be your God, and you will be my people, I will go with you. You will be a royal priesthood, a kingdom of, uh, a kingdom of my own. You will belong to me. You will be my treasured possession. That's Exodus 19. And in Exodus 32, they turn their back on him. And in Exodus 33, we see the consequences of their decision. Exodus 33 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Leave this place. You and the people you brought up out of Egypt... And go to the land I promised you on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. And here's the consequence. But I will not go with you. Because you are a stiff-necked people, and I might destroy you on the way. When the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn. And no one put on any ornaments, for the Lord had said to Moses, Tell the Israelites, you are a stiff-necked people. If I were to go with you, even for a moment, I might destroy you. Now take off your ornaments, and I will decide what to do with you. So the Israelites stripped off their ornaments at Mount Oreb. Now Moses used to take a tent, and he pitched it outside the camp 
some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance to their tent. Then the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your way so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. And so what we have so far in the story is God is saying, I'm not going to go with you, but I'm going to send an angel. And Moses, he's thinking about it, and in his mind there is no way possible that this is going to work if your presence doesn't go with us. We have to have you. That's the only way this thing works. And he's, he's coming to them, and the people are responding. They are repentant. It says, you know, God says, take off the ornaments. Take off all of these things that show that you're delighting and, and, and saying, you know, show yourselves mournful, repentant, returning to God. And the people do just that. And Moses, he goes in before the Lord, and he pleads his case. And he says to him, the Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me? What else will distinguish us as your people from all of the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do everything you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Then Moses said, Show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim my name, the, the Lord, in your presence. And I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, the place, this, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. And when my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I, am, I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand, and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. What I want us to leave today with is the pleading heart of Moses. If your presence does not go with us, do not send us from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? 
What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? I've preached 600 sermons at the Etna Green Church of Christ. 600 of them, thereabouts. All of them good. That was cheap, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm ashamed at how little I've talked about the importance of God's Spirit. More so, frustrated that I could think foolishly that accomplishing God's mission that being faithful being pleasing to God fulfilling all of the things that I think that the church needs to be fulfilled fulfilling should ride on my shoulders and the leadership's shoulders it is shameful how blindly I can become to the power of God's Holy Spirit to lead His church. And I hope I would get a sense of just how important the presence of God's power is, the importance of God's presence is in His Holy Spirit in my life and in each of our lives. How often do our attitudes and our hearts reflect that of Moses' heart? God, don't send us anywhere unless You're going with us. I don't know why we get the blinders we do, but we all get them, don't we? I can do this. This is for me. This is what I want to do. I'm going to go do it, right? How quickly and how casually we ignore that God wants to go with us as his uh, as his or as our Lord and Savior God wants to lead us and share his presence with us. And sometimes I sort of press pause on all that and say, this is what I want to go and do. And so one, I offer an apology. And I'll know you'll say, well, Jordan, you've been learning, and it's okay. Hold me to a higher standard. Hold me to the absolute highest standard you can to say, Jordan, have you been listening to God's Spirit because I want to hold you to the same highest standard. Have you been listening? Have you been yielding to God's Spirit in your life to lead you, to care for you, to minister to you, to teach you, to empower you, to be faithful witnesses of Jesus Christ? I don't want to go another day as a church 
ignoring God's spirit and his presence and his power in our lives. My Facebook feed is kind of frustrating sometimes. They've, you know, figured me out. I like coffee and Jesus. And so all of my advertisements are coffee and Jesus. The problem is it's not good Jesus. They know I'm a minister. And they all have the latest and greatest things to tell me what to do so that you guys stop being ornery and start doing what you're supposed to do, you know? And fix all your church problems. Here's the church management software that makes your life easier. Three easy steps. Here's the strategies to grow your church from 120 to 500 in three years. Like, how do they know these details, you know? It's like, no, I'm just kidding. It's not that specific, but it seems like it sometimes. And here's the troubling thing. Here's the reason why it's bad, Jesus, because not a single time does Exodus 33 even start to get a sense of what we need. And that is a heart for Jesus Christ and for His glory and His presence to be guiding and leading His church. And so friends, I simply ask, as we study God's Holy Spirit, will we be open to it? Will we be open to what God's Spirit is saying to each and every one of us together? And that whatever you do in your work, whatever you do in in your life now at this point, will you be open to God's Spirit in your life and what He's saying to you? Because here's what I know for sure. Faced at the prospect of God's absence, did the people of God realize just how important God's presence is? And just as we know how much it hurts us and how how empty it feels for us to lose someone we love, a hundred times more is it for us to think about our lives without the presence of God leading and caring for us. The closing words of Jesus' life to us here on earth was to say, I will always be with you. And the parting words of the book simply come, Holy Spirit, come. Let's invite the Spirit to work in our lives. Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you for your presence in our lives. And God, we don't want to think about our lives without you, but so often we function as if you're there like a good friend and we can call on you when we need you. God, we want more of you. God, We offer a simple prayer. Lord, we need You. Lord, we need You. We love You. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
I'm looking forward to more weeks sharing with you about God's Holy Spirit. And I bring the following messages after this series with firm conviction that it's the power of Christ's Spirit that forgives sins. It's the power of Christ's Spirit in Him that shows us victory over sin and death. It's Christ, or it's God's Spirit that raises Jesus from the dead, and that Spirit is within us. I trust and believe only that it is the power of God to transform our brokenness. It is the power of God alone to heal us and to help us. It is Christ's Spirit in us to overcome our addictions, overcome our loneliness, our anger, our lust, our envy, our jealousy. It's only Christ's Spirit that has the power to make us new. It's only Him. It's only His Spirit. And so let us be a community that lives in the Spirit, Spirit living through us, and open ourselves to the incredible Spirit of God. We can't go forward without Him. So let's ask Him together to lead us and to fill us with His Spirit. Let's stand and sing. Sin run deep, your grace is more, your grace is not.